Hello, and welcome to Let's Read Stories. My name is Raven, and today I'll be reading to you a story written by me, and this one is called Snow. It all began with a single drop of blood spilled on the freshly fallen snow. A prick of a finger upon a thorn of a rose stem, and the deal was done. You cannot back out of our deal now, mistress, the creature said from beyond the shadows. What is done is done, and I shall take my payment. Of course, the woman said, her voice pinched and worried. What will you ask of me? The creature cackled, loud and echoing within the dark, cool cave in which he resided. That is not how it works, mistress. My payment shall be received in due time. You will know once I have collected my toll for this deal we have struck. The woman nodded, for what more could she do? Then it is done. I shall be seeing you again, I presume? You will not see me, for I am missed in the shadows, but you shall know, mistress, the voice said. Suddenly, the darkness within the cave began to recede, and the woman knew that the creature was slinking back to whatever hell dimension it came from. She was not sure if the bargain they had struck would be worth the price she was going to have to pay, but she could not think of that now. For now, she had a kingdom to return to, a dead husband to mourn, and a stepdaughter to be rid of. Ten years after the woman had struck her bargain, she sat upon her throne, a black collar of thorns around her neck. The crown she wore matched the collar of thorns, for she was now the dark queen, the most powerful sorceress in all the land, and the most beautiful woman anyone had ever seen. Ruby-red lips tilted upward in a smile as her huntsman limped to stand in front of her. His game bag was slung across his back, blood dripping from inside and onto the floor. He bowed, not daring to meet her eye. "'What have you brought me, huntsman? Is it my oh-so-darling daughter?' she asked, gesturing for him to rise. "'Her heart, your majesty,' he said, still not meeting her gaze, "'just as you asked.' "'Perfect,' she said, grinning widely now. Huntsman, deliver the heart to my kitchen staff. Tell them I would like stew for dinner. Your Majesty, he said, bowing once more. As the huntsman turned away, the queen said, I have not excused you yet, my darling huntsman. He stopped, turning back to face her. His face was pale, a terrified look upon it. I have one more task for you to complete, my dear, she said, rising to her feet. Her gown, black with golden roses sewn into it, shone in the light. The task I will ask of you is no easy thing. Will you hear it, Huntsman? Of course, Your Majesty, he said. I would like for you to track, kill, and bring me the head of the cave rot known as Haster. The Huntsman blanched. Haster? The demon Haster? That is what I said, the Queen said. She began to walk down the steps that led to her throne. Bring me his head and your crimes will be forgiven. Yes, Majesty, the Huntsman said. You may be excused, she said, shooing him away with her hand. The huntsman bowed, turned, and left the room. The queen sighed, turning to her throne once more. Mason, she said, calling to her adviser, I will be retiring to my quarters. Have the kitchen staff bring my stew to my room once they've finished with it. Yes, majesty, Mason replied. The queen left the throne room, climbed the stairs to her quarters, and once inside, locked the door with her key that she kept on a chain around her neck. Her quarters consisted of a bedroom, a bathing room, and a dining area. Her servants were not permitted to enter when she was not there with them, and the queen kept her door locked at all times, no matter if she were in the room or not. No one ever questioned the queen, no matter how strange or terrible her requests. 
She often rewarded servants quite handsomely for fetching her out requests, as she was not entirely cruel and spiteful. The queen herself had been raised in a merchant household and understood what it was like to be wanting. The queen's closet had been renovated after her husband's sudden demise, and the room had been turned into what she had named the Hall of Mirrors. Within, every wall was lined with different shapes and sizes of mirrors. She found herself in the closet now, walking down the short passageway to her mirror, the one she had been given before she became queen. When she was a young girl, the king had been visiting her small village when he came upon her and her family. The king had offered the family his hand in marriage to the girl, for she was too beautiful to be wed to anyone less than the king. Her family, after being offered a hefty amount of gold, of course, agreed to the king's proposal. The day of her 18th birthday was the last time she had seen or heard from her family. Her wedding day. Nobody knew about this mirror except for herself and the witch who had gifted it to her all those years ago. A companion, mistress, the witch had said. A guiding light? She was but a child then, hardly sixteen years of age. The witch had appeared to her one night, after she had been taken to the castle and given her own quarters to live in until the day of her eighteenth birthday. The witch had warned the girl that some day she would need someone to guide her on her path, and while she had not understood the witch's warning then, she knew the witch had been prophesying for a day such as this, the day she would finally exact her revenge upon her wretched stepdaughter and kill the demon Haster before he could redeem his payment from her. The king had been nice enough, she supposed, a gentleman. His wife had passed two winters prior to their meeting, and he swore to her that he would find a wife worthy of being a mother to their daughter. The queen had loved the princess when they first met. At sixteen, she was a mere six years older than the girl. They would run and play in the castle gardens for hours upon hours until night fell and they were called to dinner. When she finally wed the king, she had asked the girl to call her mother because she felt she had earned the title, and the king and princess both agreed. From then on, the queen and the princess studied together, practiced magic together, and were doted on by the king. They lived in complete happiness until the day of the princess's sixteenth birthday. The king had fallen ill, for he was much older than the queen, and his days were coming to an end. The queen had come to love the king, and her heart still broke all these years later when she thought of him in his final days, too sick to even stand. She spent all of her time at his bedside, reading him stories and laughing with him about days long past. The princess would often be there with them, holding her father's hand. The day the king finally passed, the entire kingdom fell silent. Everyone mourned for the king, as he had been a great ruler. The princess's sixteenth birthday came a week after the king's passing. The queen held a small celebration for the princess as she wanted the princess to have a moment of distraction from her father's death. There was a ball, and then a feast, and the princess met a prince from another kingdom who wished to begin courting her. The night was going perfectly, until dessert was served. The princess often worked in the kitchen with the staff of the house, as she had a passion for baking. Often, when the queen could not find her for their daily lessons, she would stumble upon her in the kitchen, covered in flour, and baking some new, intricate dessert one of the staff had taught her. On the night of her celebration, the princess announced that she had baked a cake for her guests that morning. Though some of the guests did not approve of baking as a princessly behavior, the queen was overwhelmed with pride for the girl. All of the guests were seated in the dining room as the princess helped the kitchen staff pass a plate of cake to every single person in the room. She instructed everyone to take the first bite together, and so they waited until she was finished. She did not take a piece of cake for herself, and the queen should have realized that something was wrong far quicker than she did. For you see, the princess had done something terrible that morning. 
The queen lifted the fork to her lips and had been about to take a bite along with every other guest when a peculiar smell hit her nostrils. It smelled of a poison that she and the princess had just learned, a poison that, when ingested, turned you into stone. The queen was not quick enough with her warning shout. She watched in terror as, one by one, the guests turned into marble statues of themselves. Some toppled over immediately, shattering upon the floor. Others sat posed in their seats, a stunned look on their face. The queen looked to the princess and asked simply, Why? The princess smiled a wide, wicked smile and simply said, Because I am meant to be queen. The princess then charged her, a dagger in one hand, raised to strike the queen down. Luckily, most of the castle staff had been left unharmed, and they were able to detain the princess. She still managed to slash some of the staff and dash out of the dining hall and out of sight. The queen later learned that the princess had stolen a horse and had gone into the forest. The guard was not able to track her, and the queen was left with no choice but to make a deal with the demon to banish the princess for the rest of the queen's rule. She would not be able to enter the threshold of the kingdom until the queen passed the mantle to a worthy successor. But Haster was still a demon and managed to find a loophole to their agreement. The princess was not able to enter the threshold, but she could send others in her place. She had befriended a clan of dwarves, and the dwarves entered the kingdom with the intent of overthrowing the queen, therefore allowing the princess to take up the mantle herself. The castle guard had still been unable to track the princess or any of the dwarven men she sent in her place, so the queen resorted to even more drastic measures. There was a huntsman in the dungeon, a drunkard and a deserter. He had been there for many years, since before she had even become queen. He was, however, the best huntsman in all the realm, and she knew that if anyone could track the princess, he would be the one. One night, the queen had made her way to the farthest reaches of the dungeon, to the cell where the huntsman resided. She had decided that, to earn his respect, she would put the fear of God in him. She made herself to appear more threatening and showed off a bit of the magic she had learned over the years to prove that she was as powerful as she said she was. She then explained that she needed her stepdaughter found and killed. She needed her heart as proof and for a spell. The spell was for the protection of her kingdom, but he did not need to know that. The huntsman agreed to help the queen, and she promised an absolution of his crimes if he were to succeed. Then he was off to find the princess and her clan of dwarves. He was to kill them all and leave no witnesses so no other followers of the princess could continue her mission. And he had succeeded. He had brought back the heart of the young girl, and even with the knowledge of everything she had done, the queen still felt weight on her chest as she thought of the princess, the only daughter she would ever know. She had loved the child like she was her own, and the princess had only cared about herself from the beginning. The queen stood now in front of her guiding light. The mirror did not appear to be anything special at first, but as she said the magic incantation, it sprung to life, a spirit from within coming to the surface to speak to her. Your Majesty, the spirit said, nodding respectfully. The image in the mirror was simply a floating head, and each time she used it, the face was different. When she'd asked the mirror about this, she was told that there were thousands of souls trapped within the mirror, and each one had a purpose. Some were there to console her in her darkest times, some were there to give her advice on how to guide her army. None were all-knowing, and sometimes, mid-conversation, the face would change, someone better suited for the queen's current inquiry coming forth to help her. Mirror, she said, curtsying. She was always respectful to the spirits, as she felt bad for them. None of them had been allowed to pass on after their deaths, and would spend the rest of eternity in the mirror, and though she had not been the one to trap them there, she felt guilty for having to call on them. The spirits always insisted they did not mind the cards they were dealt, as they had been given renewed purpose. You come to us with a heavy heart, the spirit said. Have they finally found the princess? 
The queen nodded, afraid to speak. She didn't want to cry in front of the spirit, but she felt her throat constrict and tears well up. And now, the spirit said, changing form to someone new, you have sent the huntsman to find the demon you call Hastur. Yes, she said, he will kill the demon and bring me his head. I shall use it and the princess's astute heart in a spell to cast a protection charm upon my kingdom. Though I cannot rule forever, I want my people to know they will forever be safe from harm. You are noble in your actions, the spirit said. You have a kind soul, and those are not often found within those of royalty. Though, the spirit said again, changing shape once more, we must warn you, the huntsman did not do everything as he was asked. What do you mean? she asked, her heart pounding suddenly. The demon Haster will not be struck down so easily, milady, the spirit said, but the huntsman will succeed. He will bring you the demon's head. What did you mean he did not do everything as he was asked, she said, her voice on the verge of desperation. The princess lives, the spirit said, though the huntsman believes he killed her. Though the huntsman killed a girl, she was not the princess. The queen put her hand against the wall to steady herself, fearing she might faint at the news. Then who did he kill? The demon Haster collected on his end of the deal, your majesty, the spirit said. He created a doppelganger and sent her to the house of dwarves. The doppelganger was there to die in place of the princess. The real princess still lives. The queen felt a bout of nausea hit her, and she leaned back against the wall, sliding down to a sitting position. This was not possible. Surely, somehow, she would have known the demon had collected on his part of the deal. Unless... The demon Haster wants a being of pure chaos in the throne, majesty, the spirit said. The princess will rain nothing but war and destruction on your people, and he knew that. When you struck your bargain, the demon Haster had already made a bargain with the princess. To save her life when you inevitably came to take it from her, and to reign in a truly hellish fashion was what he asked of her. You had no chance, your majesty. You never did. Why are you telling me this now, Mirror, when you've had all these years to prepare me? Because, the spirit said, its voice began to change, deepening. We are the demon Haster. Suddenly, the mirror shattered and a black ooze exploded from it. The demon began to take shape, lifting the queen off the ground with its magic. You were never meant to rule this kingdom, queen, the demon said. Darkness continued to pour out of the hole where the mirror had once been, and the demon cackled maniacally. The king was never meant to remarry. The princess was meant to poison him when she turned of age. Though she succeeded with that, she still had you to trifle with. Why are you saying these things, Haster? The queen yelled over the cacophonous noise that suddenly filled the room, sounds of screams echoing from throughout the castle as Haster's demonic energy flowed out of the gateway he had created. Your eyes' power was not part of my plan, Majesty, Haster said, spitting the words at her. Princess is a changeling, replaced at birth by myself, meant to rise to power and push this kingdom into chaos. And then you came along and had to ruin everything. But now, our chaos shall truly descend upon this world, and you will be powerless to stop it. Haster threw her then, and her back collided with one of the mirrors behind her. She quickly cloaked herself with an incantation that would hide her temporarily so she could make her escape. Oh, queen, I will find you, Haster said, and she could see his face now. He was pale, so pale his skin was almost translucent. His eyes were black with golden pupils, and his nose was long and sharp. His chin was elongated as well, coming to a jagged point. The vision of him shook her deeply, but she knew that if she did not run now, she would not escape with her life. 
The queen didn't bother grabbing any belongings. There was no time for that. She had a stash of clothing and weapons at the king's winter hunting lodge, and she would have to make do. She had survived on far less before, and she would do it again if it came down to that. Tsk, tsk, queen, the creature said, hiding from a demon. If I cannot see you, surely the princess will, and she shall strike you down and take her place as rightful heir to this wretched kingdom. She reached the door to find it splintered and broken down, and she felt relief for only a moment, knowing that she wouldn't have to unlock the door and open it herself. The queen climbed through the splintered wood and felt her dress catch and tear on a sharp piece that still stood. She decided that as soon as she could, she would ditch the dress for a simple tunic and pants, something easier to travel in. The demon roared suddenly, angrily. She was running down the stairs now, a hand out to the side to keep herself steady. She made it down the stairs before she was hit, full force with a gust of wind from behind. The queen rolled across the corridor, landing in front of the entrance to the kitchens. She took one quick second to look behind her, seeing the demon Haster had broken through her spell and was quickly advancing on her. Though her bones ached and her muscles screamed at her to stop, she stood quickly, pushed open the doors to the kitchen, and ran for the back door that led to the pig pens. Hester screamed again, and she could hear him throwing things behind her, but she would not stop to look at him now as she pushed the door open, running as fast as she could through the mud and slop of the pigs. Hester was behind her now, but all she needed was to make it to the tree line. Though Hester thrived in dark caves, he could not cross into the forest, as that was life's domain. If the forest spirits did not kill him, surely the fae who wandered the forest would take care of him. The queen reached the tree line and, for the second time, brave turning around to see Hester. He stood at the threshold of the trees, and as the queen caught her breath and dry heaved into the bushes, the demon screamed. A terrible, miserable scream tore through him, echoing within the forest. "'You may have escaped me for now, queen,' he said, "'but have no doubt that the princess will find you and rip your heart out for herself. Crossing that threshold has guaranteed her place upon the throne, and she will be able to cross the kingdom's boundaries once more. Chaos will reign supreme, and you will not be there to witness it.' Send her, she said, for I will be ready and I will be waiting. I will kill her myself. Haster cackled. Oh, majesty, how you underestimate the princess. Maybe I won't have her kill you straight away. It would be quite fun to watch you suffer as your people do. The queen had nothing to say to that except, We will see who truly prevails, Haster, until we meet again. Haster smiled, exposing his teeth, all sharpened to a point. We will see, queen. And with that, the queen wandered further into the forest, traveling for a few hours before stopping to rest. She had just found a small pond and decided to sit and think for a moment. Suddenly, she heard a twig snap behind her, and she whirled a ball of flame formed in her fist, ready to launch at who or whatever was there. But it was only the huntsman. He stood there, his face pale and anxious. "'Your Majesty?' he asked, his confusion terribly masked. Oh, huntsman, she said, dropping back down onto the log she sat on. She hadn't realized how exhausted she was until that moment, and she realized she would do almost anything for a warm bed and something strong to drink. What are you doing out here? I take it you left the castle before all hell broke loose, she asked, not bothering to look back at him. Sit. Let me tell you a story. The huntsman sat on a tree stump across from her, and the queen told him everything. She explained about the mirror and how she believed it was all a part of Haster's plan. She explained what the princess had done, killing her father and the queen's husband, and poisoning all of the guests at her birthday celebration. She explained why she had needed him to kill the girl, and explained why he had also needed to kill Haster. When she finished, the huntsman stared at her in stunned silence. 
There's a winter lodge nearby, somewhere the king took us for his hunting trips. I cannot stay there long as the princess will probably search for me there first, but I can gather supplies and head out to the farthest reaches of the kingdom. I must plot to take the castle back, huntsman. You can call me Michael, he said. I can act as a guide, majesty. I'm free now, but I have been locked away for so long that not many people remember me, and those who do aren't going to hire deserter to work for them. Besides, you need as many people on your side as you can get. You're not still angry at me for how I treated you? she asked. She had half expected him to laugh in her face and report her to the princess at the first chance he had. Queen, he said, laughing. I have been mistreated my whole life. I was never afraid of you, Majesty. I respected you greatly. It took courage to ask me what you did, and to allow me to take off my shackles after so many years and leave the castle. If you would have me, I would ask to join you on your quest in stopping the princess at all costs. The queen nodded, a hint of a smile tugging at her lips. We'll set off in an hour, Michael. I need some rest after today's events. Of course, Majesty, he said. I shall keep watch. He stood, turned away from her, and began circling the perimeter of the pond. Oh, and Michael? She called after him. Michael turned to her. She smiled and said, You do not need to call me Majesty or Queen any longer. I don't believe I hold those titles anymore. What may I call you, then? He asked. Her smile grew as she said, You may call me Snow. Thank you for joining me today. This has been Let's Read Stories. If you have a story that you would like read on the podcast, you may submit your story to me at letsreadstoriespodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at readstoriespod and on Instagram at letsreadstoriespodcast. Thanks so much for listening. Have a good day.